Hello everyone and welcome to Pugmatic's first quarter 2021 earnings call. My name is Kara and I will be your operator today. Before I hand the call over to the Pugmatic team, I'd like to go over a few housekeeping notes. As a reminder, this webinar is being recorded. After the speaker remarks, there will be a Q&A session. If you plan to ask a question, please ensure you've set your Zoom name to display your full name and firm. If you would like to ask a question during this time, please use the raise hand function located at the bottom of your screen. Thank you for your attendance today, and I will now turn the call over to Stacy Clements with the Blue Shirt Group. Thank you, operator, and good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Pomatic's earnings call for the first quarter ended March 31st, 2021. Joining me on the call are Rajiv Goel, co-founder and CEO, and Steve Pantelik, CFO. Today's prepared remarks have been recorded, after which Rajiv and Steve will host live Q&A. A copy of our press release can be found on our website at investors.pubmatic.com. Before we start, I would like to remind participants that during this call, management will make forward-looking statements, including without limitation statements regarding our future performance, growth strategy, and financial outlook. Forward-looking statements are based on our current expectations and assumptions regarding our business, the economy, and other future conditions. These forward-looking statements are subject to inherent risks, uncertainties, and changes in circumstances that are difficult to predict. You can find more information about these risks, uncertainties, and other factors in our annual report on Form 10-K for the year ended December 31, 2020, which is on file with the Securities and Exchange Commission and is available at investors.pubmatic.com. Additional information will be set forth in our quarterly report on Form 10-Q for the quarter ended March 31, 2021. Our actual results may differ materially from those contemplated by the forward-looking statements. We caution you, therefore, against relying on any of these forward-looking statements. All information discussed today is as of May 13, 2021, and we do not intend and undertake no obligation to update any forward-looking statement, whether as a result of new information, future developments, or otherwise, except as may be required by law. In addition, today's discussion will include references to certain non-GAAP financial measures. These non-GAAP measures are presented for supplemental informational purposes only, and should be considered a substitute for financial information presented in accordance with GAAP. A reconciliation of these measures to the most directly comparable GAAP measures is available in our press release. And with that, I will now turn the call over to Rajiv. Thank you and welcome everyone. We delivered another quarter of strong results with performance on both the top and bottom lines above guidance, driven by multiple growth drivers, continued rapid innovation on our platform, and a distinct business model that addresses a large and rapidly growing digital advertising market. We had a great quarter as we continued to increase our market share. Revenue in the quarter grew 54% year over year, totaling 43.6 million. Net income in the quarter was 4.9 million, or 11% profit margin. And adjusted EBITDA was 14.5 million, or 33% EBITDA margin. Looking ahead, we believe we are well poised to continue gaining market share as a result of two primary factors, the multiple organic growth drivers we have in place across our business, as well as the economic reopening in the U.S. and in other markets around the world. Consequently, we are raising our guidance for the full year. We now expect revenue growth of approximately 33% year over year and adjusted EBITDA margin of approximately 28%. Underpinning our outstanding results is our owned and operated cloud infrastructure built specifically for digital advertising. This infrastructure-driven approach serves as a flywheel that allows us to grow top-line revenue, leverage our largely fixed-cost structure to drive profitability, and reinvest in innovation for our customers to again drive top-line revenue. Let me further explain. Digital advertising is unique in its real-time and data-intensive nature. This has never been more true with the rapid increase in impressions caused by header bidding and the rapid growth in media consumption driven by the pandemic, particularly in mobile, video, and CTV. We believe that an infrastructure-driven approach to digital advertising creates outsized value. Being the best at efficiently collecting and analyzing data requires controlling all layers of the infrastructure stack, network, hardware, and software. Our approach provides us with several key benefits and a significant competitive moat compared to our peers. First, 
we are able to generate superior outcomes for our customers, specifically increased revenue for our publishers and higher advertising ROI for media buyers. Alternatively, operating in public cloud infrastructure only allows for control of the software layer, which would limit our ability to generate superior customer outcomes. Second, controlling all layers of the tech stack allows us to rapidly innovate, which benefits our customers who rely on us for best-in-class technology. We deploy new capabilities, features, and algorithm updates on a daily basis across our global infrastructure. In an evolving landscape, we believe our platform enables continuous innovation and future-proofs our business and that of our customers. And third, by owning all layers of the infrastructure stack, we are well-positioned to continuously drive down costs by becoming more efficient, a benefit to our customers and to us. We have a demonstrated track record of continuous reductions in our unit infrastructure costs, which enables us to deliver a healthy profit while also investing for long-term success. Taken together, we believe our infrastructure-driven approach creates a significant competitive moat around our business. Our efficiency advantage allows us to be transparent with buyers, which in turn causes them to spend more on our platform. And as they spend more on our platform, our publishers benefit with increased revenue. Even as our addressable market opportunity continues to grow, Pomatic is delivering outsized revenue growth. In 2020, Pomatic's revenue grew 31% over 2019, well above the digital advertising market's growth of 12%. We expect to deliver outsized revenue growth in 2021 as well, driven by the convergence of three key trends. The economic reopening driving omni-channel growth in digital ad spend, continued growth and evolution of the connected TV, and over-the-top streaming ad markets, and continued ad spend consolidation by agencies and advertisers. Let me dig into each of these trends in more detail. Significant portions of the global economy, including the U.S., are set for rapid reopening following the anticipated lifting of COVID-19-related lockdowns as people start to travel, seek entertainment, and dine out. With GDP on the rise, eMarketer is projecting growth in global advertising spend to accelerate from 13% in 2020 to 20% in 2021. Mobile advertising in particular is expected to grow 23% worldwide this year, and more than half of our business is mobile. Several verticals tied to the reopening, such as food and drink, as well as style and fashion, are rapidly growing ad spend on our platform. We expect several other verticals that have not yet accelerated to do so in the coming months. We expect these trends to create significant tailwinds for us in 2021. Our omnichannel platform is particularly well-suited for the current environment as advertisers can reach consumers wherever they may be consuming media, at home, at the office, or out and about, as each geographic market we participate in involves, evolves on its own reopening path. Furthermore, we maintain the belief that COVID-19 has pulled forward multiple years of consumer behavioral change, as people around the world are transitioning more offline activities to online. We anticipate that many of these consumer behavioral changes will stick, driving further long-term acceleration in digital advertising spend. As a leading provider of omnichannel advertising solutions, we are present where consumers are spending time, at home, on a laptop or connected TV, outside of the home, on mobile devices, or at the office while working, making us more durable than point solutions. Programmatic OTT and connected TV is another area of rapid growth and innovation that positions Pubmatic for continued market share gains. This global market was estimated by eMarketer to be 20 billion in 2020, growing at an 11% CAGR over the medium term. The faster growing portion of this market is programmatic CTV, estimated to be almost $7 billion in the U.S. in 2021, which equates to year-over-year growth of more than 50%. This impressive growth rate suggests that the industry is early in the transition from linear TV to over-the-top streaming connected TV devices. As a pioneer in programmatic CTV, we are one of the first to introduce a CTV header bidding product, enabling ad buyers to benefit from the same efficiencies they enjoy in other formats using unified auctions. More recently, we have built particular strength in biddable and fixed-price private marketplace deals, as well as open market transactions. There are many public examples of major content owners like Disney or NBC and agencies like Omnicom and Group M speaking to the power and growth of biddable CTV. 
After almost a year in market, our open wrap OTT header bidding wrapper continues to gain momentum and ad buyers are seeing results. For example, a large advertiser ran a head-to-head test using our solution and another SSP's tag-based integration. Our solution outperformed across all relevant metrics, demonstrating significant advantages to CTV header bidding. We produced 40% more bid opportunities and 14 times higher total win rates than the tag integration. They also benefited from more efficient CPMs due to transparent and dynamic bid opportunities as compared to fixed fee deals. These are the same types of benefits we have seen from header bidding in all other major ad formats. We also recognize the importance of brand safety and control across all digital formats. We recently announced our fraud-free CTV program for ad buyers, which extends our existing rigorous inventory review process to in-demand CTV inventory. We believe this will enable buyers to embrace the full potential of programmatic bidding and allow us to further accelerate our growth. In the first quarter, we experienced strong sequential growth in our OTT CTV business, growing 55% over Q4 2020, and we monetize CTV inventory from over 80 publishers, including new publisher editions like Meredith Local Group and Local Now. These results provide us with a further tailwind for growth as ad buyers continue to shift toward automated, biddable buying of this high-value inventory. As buyers make this shift, publishers are meeting their programmatic buying demands while generating increased revenue and delivering increased ROI to advertisers on our platform. The third growth driver fueling our market share gains is the consolidation of ad budgets onto fewer sell-side platforms for greater efficiency, innovation, and transparency. This has been and continues to be a growth driver for our business. Under arrangements known broadly as supply path optimization or SPO agreements, we're able to capture a higher share of agency and advertiser ad spend while better servicing our publisher customers and delivering increased ROI and innovative solutions to ad buyers. A growing portion of our business comes from SPO deals. In the first quarter of 2021, we nearly doubled the share of ad spend on our platform that is via SPO agreements as compared to the first quarter of 2020. We are collaborating with major agencies such as Havas and Publicis Media Asia Pacific to provide a combination of custom data and workflow integrations, new product features, and volume-based business benefits to their advertisers. In March, we announced that Group M selected Pubmatic to be a global preferred SSP partner with our publisher partners gaining access to unique quality ad spend at scale from their broad portfolio of global advertisers. Group M will gain programmatic advantages given more efficient access to globally scaled brand safe inventory across OTT CTV, mobile app, mobile web, and desktop for video and display advertising. As consolidation continues across the industry, this partnership and others like it will help to ensure that we provide our publisher customers access to a growing share of ad spend from leading global brands. I'd like to turn now to a potential future growth driver that we are investing heavily behind. As the industry continues to evolve, we believe the disruption caused by rapid changes to audience addressability and the pending deprecation of the cookie and other anonymous identifiers will benefit Pubmatic as the value proposition for the open internet grows relative to the walled gardens in the eyes of advertisers. We have invested heavily behind this opportunity for several years and continue to do so. I'm pleased to share that today, the majority of revenue on our platform now has alternative identifiers to the third-party cookie and Apple IDFA, which underscores the leadership position we have taken in the addressability transition. Having alternative identifiers available at scale, in many cases, identifiers that provide greater addressability than anonymous identifiers like the third-party cookie, provides an environment to drive even greater utilization of our infrastructure. We expect these identifiers to grow the share of spend in the open internet and on our platform in particular. We've achieved this milestone through long-term investment in a portfolio of solutions that together meet the growing and evolving needs for audience addressability. Our Identity Hub solution, scaled to well over 175 publishers, including Cox Automotive in the US and Time Out in the UK, allows them to seamlessly integrate, optimize, and manage multiple leading identity providers globally, such as LiveRamp Authenticated Traffic Solution and the Trade Desk Unified ID 2.0, along with a dozen others. 
Identity Hub is also now pre-integrated with our OpenWrap solution, one of the more widely used pre-bid-based header bidding wrappers, which has been deployed in 34 countries around the world. This solution creates more value for publishers with registered or subscribed users. Our audience encore solution allows buyers to access high quality publisher first party data to execute effective and privacy safe advertising campaigns at scale. We have a variety of data partners in the retail, CPG, healthcare, automotive, and other industries. For example, we recently announced a partnership with Samba TV to integrate their extensive first party connected TV data to deliver TV audience targeting to omni-channel programmatic advertising buyers. This partnership allows European advertisers to reach audiences based on TV viewing behaviors and drive incremental reach by targeting audiences that are not exposed to linear TV advertising. We are also investing in contextual solutions to improve advertising efficacy. And fourth, we are working with Google and the World Wide Web Consortium on Google's privacy sandbox proposals, including Flock. Audience addressability is something that publishers need to solve for, and we understand that it will not be a one-size-fits-all approach. With our long-term investment in this area with the portfolio of solutions, we think we are well-positioned to help our publisher and buyer customers find highly relevant audiences at scale and improve the efficacy of the open Internet as compared to today. Together, these trends are fueling growth across all segments of our customer base and all formats, ad formats we serve. As a result, a corresponding increase in utilization of our infrastructure drives our profit growth and cash generation. As we look forward to the rest of the year, we are confident in our strategic growth drivers and our ability to continue to gain market share. We outperformed in the first quarter. This, coupled with advertising dollars beginning, beginning to flow back into the ecosystem as global economies recover, gives us the confidence to raise our full year outlook. We are successfully executing against multiple organic growth drivers, leading to strong growth and market share gains, and we expect that to strengthen as the economic reopening in the U.S. and elsewhere accelerates. Our continued success fuels our ambition for significant market share gains in the years ahead. We have a differentiated cloud infrastructure platform that allows us to drive strong customer retention while rapidly innovating to grow our addressable market of ad formats and devices. We have a proven ability to consistently drive profitable growth with strong cash flow, which we believe positions us well to keep innovating and delivering for our customers and our shareholders. And I see a lot of growth opportunities ahead of us, which I am excited about. I'll now turn the call over to Steve Pantelik to walk through the detailed financials. Thank you, Rajiv, and welcome everyone. As you see from our reported numbers, Pubmatic achieved outstanding financial results with first quarter revenue and adjusted EBITDA above guidance, growing significantly compared to the prior year and importantly, growing organically faster than the market. At the same time, we continue to invest for future growth. We are expanding our solutions across platforms and formats, adding new customers, increasing the capacity of our infrastructure, and expanding our engineering and go-to-market teams. We believe these investments give us a powerful network effect with more visibility and scale, driving increased revenues from existing customers and operating a highly profitable platform that benefits our customers and us. Revenue in the first quarter was 43.6 million, an increase of 54% over Q1 last year. Net income was 4.9 million, an increase of 444% over the prior year, and an adjusted EBITDA was 14.5 million, 183% higher than Q1 2020. These top and bottom line results reflect the strength of our platform and high profit flow through embedded in our business model. Before I jump into the quarterly financials, I'll recap the five key financial drivers that we believe will drive the long-term success of our business. First, we have one of the few scale global businesses in our highly fragmented industry that offers an omni-channel solution for publishers and buyers. Our specialized cloud infrastructure and global go-to-market presence is geographically distributed in all major ad markets apart from China. This framework allows us to continue expanding across the world with existing and new customers, both effectively and efficiently. 
Second, the combination of our usage-based model and our ability to retain and grow revenues from existing customers provides a high degree of revenue stickiness and corresponding visibility. Third, we have built a business that consistently delivers high gross margins. Fourth, our business model is embedded with durable structural advantages emanating from our owned and operated infrastructure and offshore R&D that enables us to cost-effectively invest in technological innovation. And lastly, we generate consistent cash flow through rigorous working capital management and efficient capital expenditures. Now turning to the highlights for Q1. Our revenue growth was driven by broad strength across advertising verticals, demonstrating our ability to participate in the economic reopening occurring in the U.S. and other markets we participate in. Apart from the political and travel ad verticals, spending in nearly every vertical was up 50% or higher versus Q1 2020. Notably, through the first quarter, we saw significant sequential improvements in such ad verticals as automotive, food and drink, and style of fashion as reopening trends emerged. Ad spending was particularly strong for our mobile and omnichannel video businesses, with combined revenues growing 83% year-over-year. As a reminder, omnichannel video is the sum of online digital video plus OTT CTV. In aggregate, our mobile plus omnichannel video revenues represented approximately 63% of our total revenues in the first quarter. Looking at just the OTT CTV format, we delivered 55% growth sequentially versus Q4 2020, with the number of publishers monetizing inventory via OTT CTV formats growing to over 80 in the first quarter. Since we first launched our header bidding solution for OTT CTV in mid-2020, we have seen uh, rapid growth in revenues. In the first quarter, we also saw continued recovery in our desktop business with revenue growth of 26% over Q1 of last year. Our Verizon Media Group revenues grew over 20% year-over-year and represented approximately 20% of total revenues in the first quarter. As a reminder, this concentration level is down from 2019 when VMG represented 28% of revenue. We continue to benefit in the quarter from strong existing customer revenues. For the 12 months ending Q1 2021, net dollar-based retention was 130%, significantly up from the comparable period a year ago. Another long-term growth driver continues to be our supply path optimization deals with advertisers and agencies. We have seen these relationships serve as a catalyst for buyers to consolidate ad dollars onto our platform with spending coming via SBO deals nearly doubling since Q1 2020. To rapidly scale and take advantage of these growth opportunities, we continue to invest in increased platform capacity. As a result, we processed over 18 trillion impressions in the first quarter, double what we processed for the same period last year. Turning to our Q1 gross margins, we delivered 72% margin compared to 65% in the prior year. Our long-term strategy of owning and optimizing our purpose-built infrastructure enables us to reduce our unit costs. Illustrating this point, we successfully reduced our cost of revenue per million impressions process by approximately 40% year-over-year. Once we have implemented our targeted capacity expansion at a point in time, we achieve leverage because our platform costs are largely fixed in the near term, typically a quarter out. When we exceed our revenue targets, as we did in Q1 2021, we benefit from high flow-through to profit. With respect to our Q1 operating expenses, the combination of increased headcount for growth, incremental public company costs, and stock-based compensation resulted in operating expenses of $24.7 million, up 43% year-over-year. Net income in the first quarter was $4.9 million, up 444% year-over-year. It was 11% of revenue, substantially higher than the prior year net margin of 3%. Q1 diluted EPS was $0.09. Cents. Adjusted EBIT in Q1 was $14.5 million, or 33% of revenue, compared to 18% of revenue in the prior year, primarily due to the high flow-through from strong revenue ahead of plan and the cost leverage we achieved on our platform. 
To summarize, our strong quarterly performance was the result of several key drivers. Acceleration of mobile and omnichannel video driven by the increase in open internet activity globally. Strong spending across nearly all ad verticals. Increased revenues from existing customers supported by supply path optimization agreements signed in 2019 and 2020. And our target investments in people and platform capacity. Turning to our cash flow, we generated net cash from operating activities of $12.7 million for Q1 2021. We ended Q1 2021 with cash, cash from equivalents, and marketable securities of $110 million. Now onto our Q2 and full year 2021 guidance. Overall, given our strong Q1 performance, latest trends in Q2, and increased visibility for the balance of the year, we are increasing our full-year guidance for revenue and adjusted EBITDA. To set the context, we are experiencing favorable macroeconomic conditions. At a fundamental level, we believe that the total amount of time people spend online has accelerated faster than expected. Of course, it remains to be seen to what degree this current acceleration of online behaviors will continue and when the pandemic will end. Nevertheless, we are seeing the preliminary stages of a robust reopening in the U.S. and its selected major ad markets around the world, and we believe this trend will benefit Pubmatic and its customers. Currently, in Q2, we are seeing sequential progress compared to Q1. We anticipate an above-average favorable year-over-year comparison as we will be lapping the early stages of the pandemic when advertising was significantly impacted last year. As referenced earlier, we see encouraging signs with respect to reopening tailwinds helping our revenues. Partially offsetting these positive trends is the impact from Apple's elimination of IDFA, which did not occur in Q1 as originally anticipated and is now rolling through the ecosystem. We have factored the IDFA impact into our guidance. Because we are an omni-channel platform, we are well positioned to partially offset this impact as advertisers shift to alternative high ROI formats and channels that we serve. Looking at the full year, we are raising our prior guidance because of the solid momentum we're currently seeing. It is important to note, should inflation occur and CPMs increase for advertisers, our usage-based model allows us to participate in that revenue upside. That said, we remain prudent and keep a slightly conserved stance due to the combination of uncertainty around macroeconomic conditions and the reality that some parts of the world are still suffering from the worst effects of the pandemic. Also keep in mind that year-over-year percentage comparisons in the second half of the year may appear less robust as we lap very strong growth that included one-time effects such as carryover spending from the first half of 2020 and Q4 political ad spend. On a two-year stack basis, i.e. if we add our 2020 second half growth plus our guidance for the second half 2021, the total cumulative revenue growth is anticipated to be 67%. On the investment side, for the remainder of the year, we plan to add more capacity in people than originally anticipated as we see new opportunities to drive our profitable growth. We also expect incremental costs related to the return to our offices around the globe and higher T&E as our team re-engages in person with customers around the globe. Overall, we expect our operating expenses on an absolute dollar basis to increase over the course of 2021. Now, in terms of specifics, for Q2 2021, we expect revenue between 45 and 46 million, a range of 70% to 75% year-over-year growth. We expect adjusted EBITDA between 14 and 15 million or above a 30% margin. For the full year 2021, we are raising our revenue target by 15 million and now expect revenue between 195 and 200 million, or 31% to 34% year-over-year growth. We are also raising our adjusted EBITDA target by 9 million and expect adjusted EBITDA between 54 and 58 million, or 27% to 29% margin. For the remaining three quarters of 2021, as a reminder, we are incurring new public company costs of approximately $6 million. We are increasing our full-year capital expenditures to capture the increased growth opportunities 
and make advanced purchases to mitigate risk of ship shortages over the coming nine months. As a result, we expect to be have CapEx between 23 and 27 million for the full year. It should be noted, we expect a significant amount of this accelerated capacity to largely come online in Q3, and consequently there will be short-term below-trend Q3 gross margin due to higher depreciation costs, but which will normalize over the succeeding several quarters. We don't see this affecting our calendar year gross margin rate target. Overall, we expect to increase the total number of impressions processed in 2021 by over 60% compared to 2020. In closing, we are pleased with our progress in the first quarter of 21, but we are even more excited about the opportunities ahead of us for the remainder of this year. We are proactively taking advantage of the shift to identity in the open internet. We are growing our mobile and omnichannel video businesses, expanding our SPO relationships, increasing revenues with existing publishers, and adding publishers in existing and new geographic markets. Our track record of driving profitable revenue growth and cash flows allows us to continue innovating and delivering for our customers and shareholders. We believe we have the right platform and the right approach to be at the forefront of our industry. With that, I'll turn the call over to the operator to open it up for questions. Thank you, Steve. As a reminder, you can ask a question by raising your hand located on your dashboard. Okay, your first question comes from Brent Bill at Jeffries. Brent, you're on the line. Good afternoon, guys. Um, thanks so much. Uh, maybe one for Rajiv and then a follow-up for Steve. Rajiv, just on you know, the overall demand environment is obviously really robust, robust, and I think many are asking, you know, the durability and the sustainability of what we're seeing and what, what you're, what you're seeing and signs that, that you think this is more durable than just a, a quick flashback. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we see multiple signs in terms of the durability of our model, uh, as well as the durability of spend growth and therefore our revenue. Uh, so we called out, you know, a number of reopening verticals uh, that are growing on our platform, like food and drink, style and fashion, uh, automotive. Uh, there are other verticals that have not yet accelerated that are tied to the reopening. We expect those uh, to uh, to start to accelerate. And then at the same time, all of the verticals that grew very rapidly last year during the pandemic, those continue to be strong. And I think that really signifies that consumer behavior has shifted quite a bit, you know, from online, offline activities to online activities. And we do think there's been a significant pull forward or, or shift in that consumer behavior uh, that will stick. Uh, and so that's what we're seeing in the macro environment. And then I think where we have positioned our business is really to benefit from all of these trends. So I think what we've shown is that we have a, a very uh, diversified omnichannel business and so whether the consumer is, you know, at home uh, watching a connected TV device or on a laptop or they're out and about on a mobile device or now maybe going back to the office, uh, we're able to uh, be in front of that consumer on the websites and media that they're consuming, you know, as, as reopening happens, as guidance uh, shifts like we just heard from today from, from the CDC. Uh, and so I think we're going to be in a strong position uh, to be with that consumer where they're consuming media and then bring advertisers spend to the platform as a result. Great. Uh, uh, real quick for Steve, just, you know, good first half uh, expense control and EBITDA growth. But I think we all um, completely understand they hate more expense coming back into the model, given the return. Is there anything else in terms of big investments we should consider uh, that will will come back that um, that will impact EBITDA and the second half of the year. You know um, the investments that we do anticipate are already factored into the guidance that I've given. Uh, but to uh, reinforce the points uh, that I made, you know we uh, see tremendous growth opportunities. So we continue to invest in people, particularly in technology, and go to market uh, uh, folks around the world in specialized areas like CTV. So we are absolutely focused on investing in growth, uh, number one, uh, and that uh, is uh, for people. And then also, uh, as I indicated, uh, continued capacity expansion. 
Uh, and, you know, it, with respect to sort of the reopening costs, people going back into offices, you know, we'd assumed, uh, you know, a normalization in the second half of the year. So I currently don't anticipate any surprises. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Your next question comes from Justin Patterson at KeyBank. Justin, you're on the line. Thank you very much, and I hope you're all healthy and well. Uh, Rajiv, could you talk about discussions you've had with advertisers and publishers and just how those have evolved around both the iOS changes and the privacy sandbox proposals? Is this something that's influencing the pace of change in the industry and helping with uh, both adoption of Identity Hub and Audience Encore? And then for Steve, how should we think about the returns around the CapEx investment and the opportunities to grow impressions ahead? Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Justin, uh, thanks for the question. So uh, I would say there's a, broadly speaking, there's a, a degree uh, of iteration uh, and experimentation across the ecosystem uh, as the whole industry transitions, you know, from anonymous tracking, whether it was the third-party cookie or, or the Apple IDFA, uh, towards a uh, different set of solutions. Uh, and I think what's clear is that there will not be a one-size-fits-all kind of single solution. Uh, and so what, what we are doing with publishers and, and buyers, you know, whether it's advertisers or agencies, as, as you mentioned, is really to position ourselves to be at the forefront of innovation uh, and be leading the conversation in the industry uh, and innovating with our customers and with our partners. And so the way that we have approached that, uh, and we've been investing here for two or three years now in anticipation of this change coming, uh, is to build out a portfolio of solutions. And I think you see the strength of that in the uh, in the metric that we shared, that the majority of revenue on our platform now has alternative identifiers. And I think what's particularly exciting about that is these alternative identifiers are in many cases uh, better or more granular uh, than the, the past identifiers, the anonymous identifiers, and they also include uh, consumer consent. So the consumer is aware of what's happening and they have a choice to make uh, in, in that process. Uh, and so I, I think what we're going to find is that the open Internet will take share uh, as we come through this transition, uh, and our goal is to make sure that Pomatic in particular uh, continues to grow its market share. And uh, just with respect to your question around return on investment on our capacity uh, expansion, you know, we've been uh, managing our own and operating infrastructure for, uh, you know, close to a decade. And so we've become very proficient at, uh, a, you know, managing sort of the initial uh, outlay, uh, tying it to the opportunity uh, that we see, and then, you know, finding ways to optimize it. And, you know, as a reminder, you know, our gross margin has averaged over a nine-year period at 70% or higher. And so it's a function of focus. And then, of course, you know, uh, ensuring that we are always uh, taking a very close look at the demand side uh, and the supply side and ensuring that we're uh, the capacity in place. Uh, and so, you know, historically, we typically see return on our investment, uh, you know, over the course of uh, succeeding three to four quarters. And I don't see that really changing. One change that uh, I indicated in my uh, comments was that we are uh, doing some advanced purchasing to uh, counteract any potential uh, effect from chip shortages. So our growth uh, is not constrained uh, and that will have a short term impact on gross margin. But I expect that to normalize relatively quickly as our top line grows. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Andrew Boone at JNP. Andrew, you're on the line. Thanks for taking the question, guys. Um, so I had two, please. I think you said SPO deals doubled from a year ago. And can you just dive into what you attribute that increase of SPO to? And, and I guess kind of, you know, looking forward, um, what inning are we in as we think about SPO kind of looking ahead? And then I'll, I'll ask a second one. After this, sure. Uh, yeah. So just to, to repeat the metric, uh, we nearly doubled to so almost doubled the share of spend on our platform uh, coming from supply path optimization deals, SPO deals uh, in Q1 of 21 compared to Q1 of 20. Uh, and so the, the drivers of these are, you know, I think across the ecosystem, there's a desire 
for the ecosystem to be more efficient uh, and more transparent. And I think uh, what we have focused on for several years now is really to, to position Pubmatic uh, to be uh, the SSP of choice for the buy side of the ecosystem, uh, because if we can do that, we can generate more revenue for our publisher customers. And so we've really focused our platform on, on doing that. Uh, it starts with our infrastructure advantage, you know, owning and operating our own infrastructure. And, you know, Steve highlighted some of the, uh, the, the ways that we make that uh, very efficient. Uh, but that efficiency allows us to be very transparent with buyers. Uh, and buyers, of course, are craving transparency because there has been a history in this industry of, of arbitrage or, or opacity. Uh, and so we can go to the buyers and say, hey, look, you know, we can show you all of the things that you want to understand about where your media spend is going and, and how those budgets are being allocated. Uh, second, you know, because of that efficiency, we're also able to make our partners more efficient. So the buyers that we work with, uh, we're able to make their systems more efficient uh, because of the efficiency of our platform, what inventory we choose, what uh, parameters we, we uh, decide to, to send uh, to the buyers. Uh, and then lastly, we have uh, a global omni-channel platform, which means we're able to meet the needs of many, many buyers, you know, across a variety of ad formats uh, and geographies. And so I think all of those things uh, combined make us a very compelling choice uh, for agencies and for advertisers to consolidate spend on. Uh, so to the, the second part of your question, I think we're pretty early uh, still in, uh, in this uh, trend. Uh, so I, I could see, you know, over the next several years uh, getting to maybe the majority of spend on our platform or half of the spend on our platform uh, being through these uh, uh, supply path optimization agreements. And then I, I just wanted to go back to, to Justin's question on kind of 50 percent plus of, of revenue now from alternative IDs. Um, you know, can, can you talk about kind of the benefit to CPMs there, Steve? I think the guide kind of implies uh, kind of a mid-teens kind of decline in CPMs, if I think about 60% impression growth. And, and then secondly, how does that get to 100% kind of before 2022 in the deprecation of cookies? Like, is that a realistic goal, or, or how do we think about full coverage? Uh, well, there's a couple questions there, but let me uh, first focus on uh, some of your uh, model questions uh, on the uh, and the impact. Uh, for the uh, full year. So, uh, you know, we anticipate adding significantly more than 60% impressions. Um, and so I really don't see uh, any significant degradation to CPMs. Uh, you know, it's an evolving picture, you know, depending on when capacity comes online. So I'm feeling uh, very positive about the status of CPMs. And with respect to the rate at which, uh, you know, identity comes into uh, play, it really is a function of, uh, you know, the overall ecosystem adopting, uh, you know, the, the core principles. And the reality is, I think publishers uh, in the open internet recognize the, uh, the significant upside. Uh, and we have multiple uh, case studies and examples where, uh, you know, when you bring in identity into the open internet, CPMs absolutely go up. So uh, net net, I'm not concerned about CPMs. In fact, uh, it's really been uh, quite stable for the first quarter, our CPMs this year relative to last year, uh, and I would expect a normal cycle to unfold. Uh, one other uh, point that you didn't ask, but I'll, I'll add with respect to inflation, uh, if inflation does affect CPMs, because we have a usage-based model, we will be able to participate in that, uh, that scenario. And, Andrew, on the, uh, on the other part of your question, you know, so the, that uh, we've reached that point where the majority of revenue, you know, has alternative identifiers, and that rate is growing pretty rapidly. I don't see it as our needing to get to 100%. Uh, we'll, of course, continue to push that uh, higher towards that. Uh, but the reason is that, you know, advertisers will go to where the opportunity, the ROI lies. Uh, and so if the, the majority of revenue has these alternative identifiers, uh, and, and we can hopefully lead uh, the industry in this area, then I expect advertisers to shift their ad budgets to those impressions that have these identifiers. And that's pretty similar to what we saw with GDPR uh, in Europe a couple of years ago, where not all impressions were consented out of the gate. Uh, and so those impressions that were, you know, very quickly got bitted up and, and started to, to uh, accumulate the lion's share of, of advertiser budgets. Right. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
Your next question comes from Andrew Merrock at Raymond James. Andrew, you are on the line. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Um, you've talked a bit about some of your investments that you've been planning to make. Uh, I guess, could you give us a little sense of kind of the prioritization of some of those investments? And with the reopening strength kind of coming back, is there any alteration to the, your thought on your go-to-market strategy or any particular pockets that you wanted to lean into on on that? Yeah, so you want to take the first part? Yeah, I can take yeah, the second. Yeah, I'll take the first thing. So, uh, in terms of the prioritization, uh, absolutely, uh, you know, growing the size of our technology team in India, uh, is a priority. Uh, adding, uh, select go to market, uh, professionals around the globe, driving, uh, you know, our identity solution, driving, uh, the CTV, uh, business. Uh, and, and then of course the normal, uh, you know, support functions around the globe. Uh, and, and well, uh, add is we added about 40 people, uh, in the first quarter and we anticipate to continue to add people throughout the course of the year. So, uh, people that are going to help us, uh, take advantage of the, the significant growth opportunities ahead of us is sort of priority number one. Priority number two is to, uh, keep on increasing capacity, uh, of our infrastructure. Uh, in the first quarter, uh, we uh, almost uh, we nearly doubled uh, the number of impressions we had uh, versus last year, uh, 18 trillion that we processed. Uh, we expect to keep on expanding that uh, through the course of this year. Uh, we're going to front end uh, load it a bit because of the, uh, the potential exposure uh, uh, around chip shortages. So it's really those two areas that we're going to focus on, focus on growth. Uh, because we have a very profitable business model, uh, last year was our ninth straight year of adjusted EBITDA profitability. Uh, we're confident that we're going to be able to grow uh, profitably. Great. And, uh, Andrew, on the second part of your question, uh, I think one of the big shifts will really be around uh, people's uh, pe- people making our, our employees, our team members making a mental adjustment, you know, to being back uh, in uh in the office and, and in entertainment with clients, you know, engaging with clients in person. So I, I think we've all, you know, gotten very used to the, the Zoom uh, approach to uh, to conducting meetings. And, and I think that will be a mental shift that, that will take some time. Now, in terms of the, the you know, the buy side and the sell side, uh, on the sell side, I don't see a shift in terms of the, the publishers uh, that we're going after, either, you know, who they are or the, the channels that they're in, you know, mobile, CTV, uh, et cetera. On the buy side, uh, I think there will be an expansion of verticals, which is already underway, to go after some of the, the reopening verticals, you know, that have been dormant uh, for maybe the last 12 to 14 months. You know, travel would be a good example of that, or, or food and drink, uh, where we, we will be more active in terms of uh, engaging with advertisers uh, around supply path optimization. I think the key benefit here is that structurally, you know, we have a global platform. We're an omni-channel platform. Uh, and so there are no significant structural changes that we need to make uh, because I, I think we'll continue to be very present uh, with where wherever the consumers are and then wherever the advertisers, you know, want to put ads in front of those consumers. Great. Thank you. Your next question comes from Jason Halstein at Oppenheimer. Thanks, guys. Uh, two questions. So one, um, how are you thinking about servicing CTV publishers as they try to move more spending into a digital upfront and kind of the idea of, a, you know, a private marketplace or just because that is still where the, the bulk of the money is. And so how, how you try to capture that. And then secondly, how many preferred SSP deals would be practical for a large global agency? So you highlighted Group M. Should they have one deal like that? Should they have three? Just how, how do you think about that? Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So w- with respect to, let me start on your CTV question, you know, in, in the upfront. Uh, so we're, we're seeing strong growth in our CTV business in both private marketplace deals as well as open market spending, you know, which, which we're very excited about. And I would say that we view ourselves really as pioneering the future of CTV, you know, building the foundation for where the market is headed, not necessarily, you know, where, where it is today. And, and I think, uh, we would all probably agree that the industry is still very early in the transition of TV from linear to digital. Like the majority of TV spend is still linear, although it's, it's transitioning rapidly. And today the lion's share of digital ad spending is on insertion orders or fixed price PMP deals. 
and this is, you know, what's uh, what's driving uh, transactions in the upfronts. And I would expect to see more data-driven uh, decisions being made in the future, whether it's audience targeting or it's uh, CPM and, and pricing de- uh, decisions. Uh, and so we are starting to see the transition to a bidded environment emerge, uh, and we're firmly pushing the industry in this direction with our own technology and, and our own approach. I think even uh, Roku commented on this in their earnings call last week, where they mentioned that they see the market evolving to include a spectrum of advertiser prices managed in an auction environment. You know, and I think that's that's something that we've really been been saying from the beginning. So I think this approach may be a little bit slower to evolve, but we see it as ultimately being a bigger opportunity uh, in the long run. Uh, and you you know you can start to see that in our results with the spend growing sequentially 55% from Q4. Uh, of 20 to, to Q1 of 21. Now, on the um, on the other part of your question around how many preferred uh, SSPs you know an agency might have, so I think where we are with supply path optimization is that agencies are moving from having several dozen uh, SSPs that they may be spending across, not not by design, but just kind of by happenstance or, or by accident. So that could be anywhere from you know two or three dozen to I've seen situations where. Agencies are spending on, you know, 50, 60 uh, platforms uh, globally uh, to typically a single-digit number, uh, and that number can be anywhere from three to seven uh, SSPs, uh, somewhere in that kind of ballpark. I think it doesn't make sense, does not make sense for an agency to consolidate down to one single SSP. That would probably create uh, a level of supply chain risk that, that they don't want to take on, uh, and I think there are some variations, enough variations between some of the major SSPs that that's unlikely, uh, but I think to really get the benefits around efficiency, innovation, and transparency, uh, it does mean, you know, moving down to a couple of SSPs, and that's how we, we see most of these agencies evolving. Thank you. Your next question comes from Shweta at Evercore. Shweta, you're on the line. Great. Thank you. Let me try to, please. A follow-up on the Group M partnership. So what does it mean for your business um, where you say Group M is, you know, uh, you are a preferred partner for them. So what does that mean? How meaningful is this partnership for you? And then second is, could you remind us what SPO contracts usually include? I know there are some volume discounts, but what else do contracts typically include? And then actually third, if I may, please, uh, how big is travel for you? So you hopefully see a recovery. You're not the only one. I know Trade Desk also commented on it. Um, how impactful will it be? How, how impactful is the recovery going to be for you? Thanks. Sure. Maybe I can take the uh, the first two, and then Steve can comment on the, the travel vertical. Uh, so in terms of what, what does it mean for Group M, what it means is that, you know, we've entered into a partnership with them uh, where we are uh, innovating for them, so building certain technology capabilities that they need to better plan, better execute, uh, streamline uh, delivery of advertising. Uh, And we are giving them levels of transparency, uh, data, and reporting insights, uh, and efficiency that they could not gain uh, through, um, you know, through their their normal work with with, uh, many different SSPs. Uh, And then what that means for us is that uh, we see significant growth in volume of spend on our platform, uh, which uh, in practical terms means, you know, we're growing the share of spend that we have uh, from Group M. Uh, and as we do that, then publishers uh, want to work even more with us because they know that we're a source of, of, uh, of the budgets, uh, the significant budgets, of course, that, that Group M has. Uh, now, it's important to note that, you know, we've entered into this agreement with them it does take time to execute and ramp up the, uh, the, the rollout of this type of agreement. We have to engage with uh, Group M and their, uh, and their team members in a variety of different markets around the world, right? So in, you know, in different countries in Europe, in the U.S., in Asia. Uh, and so that, you know, that takes time, uh, and that's, you know, team member to team member between our local team members and, and Group M's. Uh, so these these agreements can take several quarters to sign, uh, and then I would say similar time frame uh, to uh, to start to ramp up. Uh, now, typically speaking, you know, what do these contracts uh, include? To to your second question, uh, they uh, can include volume based commercial agreements, so things like um, uh, volume based pricing arrangements. 
they can include uh, transparency clauses in terms of data that we'll make available, uh, and they can also include uh, custom technology uh, features uh, that we commit to build uh, for a particular buyer. So those would be the, the main categories of things uh, that a typical deal can, can include, and some deals will include some or all of those components, and, and other deals will, will include others. Uh, with respect to your question, Shweta, on uh, the travel vertical, the way that we look at it is that it's uh, actually a net positive for the company uh, because it's been relatively nascent uh, over the last nine months, 12 months, as it has been for most. Uh, overall, uh, as the proportion of the total uh, ad spending, it's in the uh, single digits. Um, but having said that, uh, one thing that I want to uh, emphasize regarding our uh, ad verticals is that we have quite a, a degree of diversity uh, of uh, spending across all ad verticals. So we really do get to uh, participate in uh, many uh, facets of the reopening uh, and, of course, uh, you know, continued growth in the, uh, the leading uh, uh, sectors like shopping uh, and technology, et cetera. Uh, and overall, uh, you know, the, the top six or seven uh, ad verticals that we have represent about 60, uh, 60 plus percent. So, very nice, diverse uh, portfolio that we have, uh, and I expect travel to become a bigger part uh, of the business over time. Thanks, Rajiv. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Shweta. And your next question comes from Vasily at Cannonball. You're on the line. Good afternoon. Congratulations on good results. Um, the question I had, can you hear me? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, sorry. Uh, uh, the question I had was about connected TV. We see some players being demand constrained, some are invent- inventory constrained, supply constrained. So I was wondering, as you're growing your connected TV business, where are you on that spectrum, and how are you going to grow out of these imbalances? I guess what the plan is. Yeah, I can uh, I can take that. So, you know, our our CTV business, just like any of the other ad formats, you know, that that we transact in, uh, digital video, uh, uh, mobile web display, mobile app display and video, etc. They're all really marketplace businesses uh, built around an auction platform. So we have a sell side and we have a buy side, right? And so key uh, to our scaling up any of these uh, formats is to build both in parallel. Uh, and so we're now monetizing CTV inventory from over 80 publishers uh, as of the end of, uh, of Q1. And we continue to grow the advertiser base. You know, we shared the, the case study uh, in the prepared remarks earlier as a demonstration of, of the, the power of, of, the, uh, of the auction model and the auction approach. Uh, so yeah, I think unlike others, given we have an auction-based uh, platform, uh, we don't see the types of uh, um, kind of temporary constraints that others might see, you know, what, what would happen in our platform is that buyers would simply bid up the inventory if there was a short-term supply constraint. Uh, and uh, because of our usage-based model, uh, we would benefit uh, from that, just as the publisher would benefit in terms of greater revenue. And, we, and we've seen that in practice, you know, I recall many years ago uh, when, uh, when Michael Jackson passed, for instance, uh, it was a, a record day, you know, for maybe two years on the Pomatic platform in terms of volume. That there was uh, so much media consumption around that event, uh, and what what it demonstrated is that an, an auction environment uh, is really the the right approach uh, to maximizing the benefit for both the buyer and the seller. Uh, and that's why, as I said earlier, you know, that's where we're focused because we think that's where the the bigger opportunity lies long term. The quick follow-up, if I may. Uh, so in terms of the CTV inventory, are you more skewed towards linear on linear uh, inventory from the MVPDs or AVODs? Uh, where are you? Um... Yeah, we're, we are uh, focused on the VMVPDs uh, as well as, you know, I would say uh, high-quality um, uh, audiences or high-quality channels. Uh, for instance, you know, we cited AV space in our in our S1 document from late last year. Uh, so, you know, I think we're we're going after really the the tier one and the tier two uh, segments of uh, of channels, broadcasters, uh, and apps in the CTV and OTT space. Thank you very much. Thank you.
And your last question comes from Matt Swanson at RBC. Matt, you're on the line. Hey, Matt, you might be on mute. You can also press Hi. star yep. nine to yep. unmute. Okay, we got you now, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have learned nothing over the last year <laughs> and a half of the pandemic. Um, thank you for uh, taking my questions. I apologize for that. Um, speaking of pandemic, Steve, could you talk a little bit about the recovery and more on like a geo by geo and vertical by vertical basis, what we've learned through these kind of early stages of the recovery that could be, you know, applied to some geos and verticals that, you know, haven't recovered as quickly? Sure. Uh, you know, what we saw in the uh, first quarter was uh, a lot of the beaten down verticals like uh, travel, uh, uh, style and fashion, um, home and gardening, uh, all of those starting to come back pretty nicely. And uh, I had mentioned in my comments that nearly all the ad verticals that we participate, nearly 20, uh, all of them were uh, on a year-by-year basis, uh, grew 50% or more. So it really is a, a situation where it's not just the, um, the stalwarts like shopping and technology that continue to perform well, but many of these others that are starting to, uh, to, uh, you know, virgin and, uh, improve. And we saw that steadily through the first quarter. And I fully expect that to continue, uh, as we go forward. Now, from a geographic perspective, uh, the terrific news from our side is that we are seeing growth in every major region. Uh, even in APAC, uh, and, uh, you know, strong uh, results in uh, EMEA, et cetera. And I think the way to frame out what we are experiencing is that as an omni-channel uh, company uh, with what I call a very robust existing customer base, as a reminder, our uh, you know, net dollar base retention was 130% for the trailing 12 months. So we have the engine of our existing customers. We have the... Uh, uh, the applicability of mobile and video formats uh, in a pandemic uh, emerging world. And uh, we have the benefit of, you know, SPO deals coming on board. So we really are firing on all cylinders uh, as a company. And we don't anticipate that necessarily uh, slowing down. Thank you. If I could add just one more quick one for Rajiv. And it's based around the CTV opportunity and kind of thinking about the fact that, you know, all of your competitors also see these PAM growth rates. So how do you leverage, you know, one, the advantage of being independent versus some of the competitors in that space? And then to Steve's point about investing in the space, how do you build, you know, competitive moats and differentiation early on to kind of make sure you maintain that position that we've talked about? Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, by by virtue of being independent, uh, it means that we're unconflicted, right, in terms of uh, serving the needs of our customers. Uh, and I, you know, I referenced earlier uh, one of the, the challenges in the industry has been uh, opacity, you know, arbitrage, uh, things like that. I hear from agencies all the time that one of the reasons they engage in, in things like supply path optimization with us is that we don't own media, right? We have no incentive uh, to put spend from an advertiser on, you know, one one impression versus another, uh, we treat them all equally, and, and we're willing to be very transparent about that. So I think independence, you know, helps uh, to a very significant degree when you're thinking about, you know, branding budgets in particular that are flowing through CTV. And so the metrics on how to measure the return uh, are not, you know, they're not the same. They're, they're, they're not as clear as they might be in performance-based advertising. Uh, and so buyers want to know that, the technology partners that they're working with, you know, are are unconflicted and really are looking out for their interests. And so I think that's really where the the independence piece uh, comes into to our benefit. Uh, and then in terms of the competitive moat, you know, I think where our moat uh, lies, you know, today and and will continue to lie, is really in our infrastructure driven approach, uh, where we're able to innovate extremely rapidly because we own all layers uh, of the infrastructure stack. So we're shipping code uh, across our global platform on a daily basis. Uh, we're making our platform, you know, more efficient, more transparent, and driving superior outcomes 
because we own all of that infrastructure. Uh, and so that is really what drives a competitive, competitive moat, uh, you know, over, uh, the course of, uh, days, weeks, months, and quarters as we continue to innovate, uh, and build a strong reputation in the industry. And I think, you know, that metric that Steve just shared, obviously the 130% net dollar based retention, you know, is a, is a, I think a great metric around, you know, how we're performing in that regard. Thank you. And this concludes the Q&A portion of our call today. I'll now turn the call back over to Rajiv for closing remarks. Thank you. Well, uh, I want to thank you all for joining today. We're very excited about our market share expansion and the number and magnitude of growth opportunities ahead of us. Steve and I look forward to connecting with many of you in the coming days. Thank you all.